Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League preview show for game week 21 of the 17 18 season. I'm your host, Tom Runny, coming up on the show. Swansea have appointed another new manager, Carlos Carvajal, who has replaced Paul Clement just days after getting sacked at Championship Sheffield Wednesday. A bizarre appointment, but after a thrashing against Liverpool, something had to be done. Talking to Liverpool, Virgil van Dijk has finally made the move to Anfield after wooing the Reds for months like Tex Avery at a strip club. He can't play this weekend. The January window is not open yet, but there will be plenty of moves as that window blows wide open in just a few days' time. It's the Premier League preview show. Just nine games in this game week. Tottenham West Ham has been moved into the new year because of policing concerns at Wembley. So fixtures start at three o'clock UK time on Saturday with Liverpool against Leicester. The late game is Southampton going to Manchester United. Across the day, Bournemouth take on Everton. Stoke go to Chelsea. It's Huddersfield v Burnley, Newcastle, Brighton and Watford against Carlos Carvajal, Swansea. On Sunday, it's Palace against Man City. West Brom Arsenal rounds off our fixtures before we go into the new year with games on the 1st, the 2nd, the 3rd and the 4th. The football truly never stops. And a man who's worked harder than most during the festive period is with me in the studio. It's Talk Sports football editor and the preview show producer for six years and counting. Say, David Walker, how are you, mate? I'm all right. You're wearing your Watford scarf? You're very proud after well, we've won again. that first win in yeah. seven? Yeah. Good God, result as God, well. we needed it. We needed it. It wasn't pretty, but we needed it. We got it done. I mean, I had an enjoyable uh, time on Boxing Day watching West Ham against Bournemouth. I can't help but feel that if that goal had gone in in, like, South America and we were covering it in England, we'd be saying, there's something dodgy going on there. There should be some kind of investigation. We'd be laughing at the ridiculous officials they have in these other leagues. And then all I've read about Bobby Madley is that he's too fat. Blobby Bobby, they called him in the sun today. Mark Halsey said he was too fat to be a referee. Doesn't matter how fat you are, offside's still offside, isn't it? I'm over it. Handball's still handball. Handball is still handball. Uh, it's been tough for, for, for me, anyway. Not for you. You're having a great time of it. Um, listen, let's get on to a top story. It, it broke on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Paul Clement sacked a few days ago at Swansea. Leon Britton was in temporary charge, but it really didn't go well for him uh, while he was uh, at Anfield. Certainly a terrible, terrible performance. Did you know who Ollie McBurney was before uh, Boxing Day? I, I didn't. You didn't know? I had to look him up. When, when the lineups came out uh, at 2 o'clock on, uh, on Boxing Day, I had to look him up. He has played more than I thought for Swansea, actually. Like 12-odd games yeah. off the bench. Um, I, I was a big fan of his 
very low socks and spindly, very pale legs. Do you know, I was doing <laughs> the commentary of the game and I was so worried about him <laughs> because that really is unsafe. He had about 60% shin showing. You know, referees can't obviously tell what offside is these, these days or what handball is, but surely you know when you're seeing too much shin. Isn't that a regulation? It was very concerning. Yeah. Uh, and they were awful. Uh, they've replaced him with a man who was sacked four days ago uh, at Sheffield Wednesday in Carlos Carvajal. Reacting to the news on Talk Sport was the former Swansea defender, Sam Ricketts. I think it's one which no one really was expecting. It's a bit of a typical Swansea appointment, really, which um, they never really go for, for, some, for someone obvious who everyone expects them to, and they never have done for the last uh, five, ten years or so. I think that's probably why when Tony Pulis was being muted as being the potential next Swansea manager, I I was surprised by that and thought well, it's not really going to happen. That's purely because of the style of football. Swansea won't change the way they play. It's integrated into their success for the last decade. They're not going to change it now. They'll be looking, um, obviously, short-term to stay in the Premier League, but also they'll have a look long-term. They're not going to change their, their system, their style of play. They don't have the players to play a direct um, forward uh, style of football. They have the, the players to play a, a neat, intricate passing control. They just need to be more confident in the final third, push their um, opposition into mistakes, get more bodies forward. They just look really struggling to score goals. Well, I find this incredible that Carlos Carvajal would have got this job. At Sheffield Wednesday, for those out there that haven't followed the season, he's been incredibly unpopular at Hillsborough during this season. They are a long way off the playoffs. Uh, and after a couple of runs into the playoffs, his third season has kind of spiralled and they've got an expensive squad that hasn't really delivered. That's the basics of what has happened at Sheffield Wednesday. And he was sacked after a loss to Middlesbrough uh, last week. I forget what date it was, but four or five days ago. Um, somehow, Dave, he's come in to a Premier League job. Essentially, Carlos Carvajal was sacked and has since been promoted. It's bizarre. It is strange. I don't think anyone would have seen this coming. I mean, we were talking last last time we were here about Tony Pulis Mm. getting this job, and now he's in the Championship with Middlesbrough, who played Sheffield Wednesday, actually, and both managers were sacked after that game a few weeks ago. Um, This is Carlos's uh, 17th managerial job in the last 19 years. Let me think. Sheffield Wednesday, obviously. Yeah. Sporting Lisbon. Yeah. Um, I said that one, yeah. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> Besiktas. Oh, Besiktas I did Maritimo, know. Maritimo, yeah. Braga, and then a load of teams I've never heard. I've never heard. Vitoria, Setubal. Didn't Mourinho want to manage them? Portuguese, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, um, he didn't hang about long. Mm. Sheffield Wednesday is probably about his longest, his joint longest managerial tenure. Um, but the thing is, this season, it hasn't gone well for him. But he has got Sheffield Wednesday to the playoffs in the last two mm. seasons. Failed in the playoffs, though. Yeah, but... Got to the big games and failed. Exceeded expectations. And they were favourites last year in their playoff games. Yeah, and they didn't do well. But I think we were talking to Sam Ricketts, so we just heard from there, but we talked to him last week mm. in the week in the wake of Paul Clement's sacking, and we were, we were sort of speaking about how Swansea may have lost their way and they're, they're thrashing around, choosing different types of managers. Carlos Carvajal is very much in the mould of the of the managers that we used to expect from mm. Swansea. So maybe if he can come back in and try and get some of that old style of football going again, but it's crucial, whoever got this job, it's absolutely crucial that they get reinforcements in January because that squad at the moment is not good enough to stay in the Premier League. No, I mean, not just Ollie McBurney, God bless him. You know, he might have a good career ahead of him, still an under-21 international for Scotland. But when you go through the eleven, and and we were looking at it in detail against Liverpool, and fair enough, teams are going to Anfield are getting stuffed. But when you go through it and you think Wayne Routledge is still getting a, a game in the Premier League, in the centre midfield, Leroy Furr 
who has kind of failed repeatedly but keeps getting clubs. Nathan Dyer's still getting a game. Uh, and for some reason, Alfie Mawson's getting linked with a move to West Ham for 20-odd million pounds. And I think Swansea fans, who would probably stick him in the motor and drive it to East London quickly as they could, because he's dreadful. Federico Fernandez, repeated failure. Fabianski's making some great saves. But, you know, essentially is a national joke with the nickname Flappianski from his time in the Premier League. This is what we're dealing with here. Uh, Kyle Norton at right back, who has just been dreadful for the best part of a year. I mean, right across the, the 11, and that's maybe with Tammy Abraham off the bench, is their strongest 11 they're going to pop together. And it was awful. They're going to need £60 million worth of investment this January if they want to stay in the Premier League. To be the worst of a group in the bottom half of the Premier League, as bad as it is, is an incredible indictment on a team that's been in the league for as long as they have. Um, it's going to be a real tough job uh, for Carlos Carvalho. Let's get to their game this weekend. It's up against Watford. Uh, and you mentioned Watford, a, a fantastic win for them against Leicester City. Uh, a run of six games without a win before then, just one draw and five losses in that time. The big news of the week for, for Watford, for me, I was reading this morning, is that Abdullah Decore is in line for a, a brand new contract, looking to bring him up to 70-odd grand a week. That's... UK pound sterling, the same as Troy Deeney. Um, is he worth the same money that is paid to Troy Deeney, the man with the biggest cojones in football? On this season's evidence, he's worth twice as much as Troy Deeney. He's the most important player in that Watford team. He was suspended for the game against Brighton two weeks ago, and it was one of the worst performances that Watford have put in this season. Mm. They lost in midfield. He has been the absolute bedrock of everything that has been good for most of this season. Now they've Watford have had a wobble recently, but he's still consistently, even in those games that we've lost or not performed very well, he's got on the score sheet. He, he has always looked like the most outstanding player. And they've got to tie him down. He will be sold at some point. Mm. Not this January, perhaps not even next summer. But I think there'll be interest. But within the next season or two, I think Decore will leave Watford to a, a much bigger club, be it in the Premier League or abroad. But you won't need him because, of course, you've got a brand new star now at Vicarage Road. And I've heard it said a thousand different ways this week, so I'm going to go with my own one. Mola Wagaway. Yeah, Wagay, I think. Wagay. Wagay. We had, I've had a Wagaway, a Wagua. And what, what are you going with? Well, I'm going to. I'm going wagay. Look, I'm going to, we're going to call the club to find out for our commentary Wagu-way. teams this weekend. Yeah, we, need, we do need to find we're out. We're going to look it's, into it's, this it's because it was said a lot of different ways. Yeah. But to be absolutely blunt, I'd never heard of him. Obviously, he was on loan from one of the many Watford only one, umbrella clubs. There's only one umbrella club, okay, if you fine. want to call it that. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Udinese. Under the umbrella. He's the only one we've got at the moment. And um, Udinese as well. still in charge of Granada as well. Is that all no, finished now? been sold. All oh, right, okay. Well, he is on loan from Udinese. I'd never heard of him, and he played absolutely fantastically. Yeah, he actually used to play for Leicester. He was on loan at Leicester last season oh, as well. Yeah. Didn't really play for them, though. Um, that was his first start for Watford. He'd been off the... Came off once off the bench earlier in the season, but that was his first start. Played very well, actually. Got the goal, the crucial, crucial goal. To I, I don't think Watford would have come back and, and won that match if they didn't get a goal before half time. Mm. It didn't look very good first half. They looked like what they what they were and what they are as a team short of confidence. But they got that goal. The confidence came back. They got another slightly fortunate goal. The Casper Schmeichel helped it in and dug in mm. and got the points and Gomez made some great saves at the end to, to give them the three points uh, and one final question on Watford before we will move on uh, is Swansea for them this weekend any chance of a start for Andre Gray with Charleston's playing through the centre now has he had a big fallout with Silva um, well it's definitely a problem area of the team at the moment up front Okaka who came on after 44 minutes against Leicester has had a falling out with Silva they've both spoken about it 
in the press mm. uh, to different versions of events. Um, but Silva put him on, seemed to relent, and, and he played very well in that second half. But apart from that, that's, all, that's the only time he's featured since the, the first game of the season against mm. Liverpool, in which he did very well. Andre Gray just hasn't done enough. He's played quite well, but he hasn't scored enough goals, hasn't taken enough of the chances that he's been given. Probably hasn't had as many chances as he maybe thought he would get. Mm. Deeney's not played enough games. He was just injured at the start of the season, has been suspended for seven, will have been suspended for seven games by the time he comes back after this latest suspension. Um, and he, you know, it, it's just we haven't found the right solution up front and I think a striker will be coming in in January they've been linked with Slomani from Leicester mm. but honestly I don't think there's much between Akaka and Slomani so you know if we swap one for the other I, I'd rather just keep what we've well, got Silva likes one of them yeah well maybe that's that it but Richarlison <laughs> is much better at, at, at coming in off the left he's looked much more effective and he did when he when he was switched he played through the middle in the first half against Leicester Silva switched him just before half time scored within a minute Irrespective of those problems, you'd fancy Watford against Swansea this weekend. Uh, we're going to move on to talk about a big transfer story that broke in midweek, building up to the January transfer window, and that is Virgil van Dijk, who is soon to complete his move to Liverpool from Southampton. They take on Leicester this weekend. That's next on the Premier League Preview Show. You're listening to the Premier League preview show for the final time in 2017. What a year it's been, David Walker, alongside me. It goes so quick, doesn't it? It goes so quick, doesn't it? You know, we've been doing these since 2012 now. God. In those glory days when the, the country was basking in Olympic glory. And, and Andy Gray. Yeah. The good great, old days. The good old days, <laughs> as they were. Um, I'm Tom Rennie. Let's press on, shall we? Liverpool against Leicester is a three o'clock UK time kickoff this Saturday. It's our international feature match with Adam Bridge and Steve Lomas. Uh, a man who won't be playing is who everyone's going to be talking about at Anfield. It's Virgil van Dijk, who's completed, or is close to completing, his big money move, £75 million from Southampton to Liverpool. To talk about that story and some other stuff as well, we're joined by a Saints legend in Franny Bernardi. How are you, mate? You all right? I'm very well, Tom. Thanks. Hey, David. Have you been disappointed with the departure of Virgil van Dijk, or is it something worth celebrating that you've now managed to get another £70 million out of Liverpool, I mean, they basically bought the city, haven't they? Oh, I know. It's an incredible sum of money, isn't it? Um, but no, you know, not celebrating the fact that you're losing another top-class player. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a figure that, you know, I think a world record fee for a defender says it all, really. You know, it's, it's, it's good business financially for Southampton. Uh, it's another move that adds to the tally of money that they've seemed to have received from, from Liverpool for a number of players now in recent times. And, um, you know, from a positional perspective, I'm not too concerned. You know, yes, losing a player like Virgil is going to be a loss, but, you know, the, the, the squad is quite well covered in that position at the moment. So I don't think Pellegrino will dip in and look for a like for like replacement. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm certain he'll want to dip in and use the, the funds from the sale to, to probably bring in a, a, a goal scorer and one or two other players, maybe. I want to get to Southampton and how they respond in a minute, but, but on Liverpool. Just tell me what kind of player they've bought, because we've spoken about their lack of quality defending in big matches, in big moments, though their defensive record at Anfield has actually been pretty decent. Is yeah. he the missing link? Is he good enough to hold that Liverpool back line together? What are his attributes? Well, he's, he's going to be a player that, that will fill a, a, a huge void in many ways. I mean, physically, he's a huge presence. He's, you know, up until his injury that he picked up against Leicester at St Mary's last season, 
in my opinion, he was one of, if not the best defender on the planet. Um, you know, I'd go as far as saying that. He could have attracted the interest of any of the world's top teams, Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, whoever, not just the domestic market. He was a player that just seemed to read the game extremely well. He was a threat in the opposition's box. Um, he just seems to cruise through games with ease almost, regardless of who he's coming up against, uh, and, and, and just seemed a class player in every aspect. You know, And then, unfortunately, he picked up that injury. Uh, he, he hasn't been the same player since at Southampton this season, but we know it's well documented that you know there was the, the rumours and the speculation about him moving in the summer, which didn't happen, and, and that's probably played a big part of maybe how he's been performing this season. Hmm. Do you guys think, David, let's ask you first on this, do you think it's worth bringing Virgil van Dijk in if, as is being rumoured, they're basically going to use that money um, or get that money back by selling Philippe Coutinho, not in January, but at the end of the season to Barcelona? Would you rather have Virgil van Dijk than Coutinho because other people can score? Well, you'd rather have both, wouldn't you? Well, it doesn't seem like that's, that's, that's going to happen. Well, no. I mean, look, they, they, as we've spoken about almost every single week this season, <laughs> they've got big defensive problems. There have been some people, some people more qualified to, to, to know than, than me, who have suggested that no matter who comes in, be it Van Dijk or the best centre-back in the world, the way Klopp sets up his team defensively, it doesn't really make a difference. So maybe Van Dijk isn't going to be this shining knight who's going to come in and solve everything. But... They do have a lot of options up front. They've got better players going forward than they do individually at the back. So you've got to be happy, I think, if you're a Liverpool fan. Freddie, what do you think? I'd, well, both players are class. And I've just said the qualities of Virgil, but Coutinho as well is a huge part of Liverpool's armoury going forward. Like David's just mentioned, they're a little bit more sport, if you like, in that department, maybe with attacking players. So can they afford to lose one Quite possibly, yes. Can they afford to lose a Coutinho? In some ways, no. Um, and quite naturally, uh, I think like everyone would agree, especially any Liverpool supporter, they'd love to keep both. But, you know, it's going to be an interest in, uh, in summer uh, with regards mm. to Coutinho himself and Liverpool. But uh, I'm sure Klopp wants to, to build a side, not to dismantle it. But maybe it's moving one in to possibly see one go out will we'll, we'll remain to be seen. I just think Coutinho is one of those people, and I was doing the game against Swansea, and they won 5-0, but I don't think we're very impressive. But they got that first goal because Coutinho pulled a magic goal from absolutely nowhere. Can Virgil van Dijk do that? I think you should be able to do that for £75 million. Listen, briefly on the game against Leicester this weekend, uh, under Claude Puel, former Saints manager now at Leicester, Franny, uh, and last year pulled off one of the best performances I've ever seen without the ball at Anfield. That was Southampton's victory in what was then the EFL Cup semi-finals. Uh, they were yeah. fantastic that day. Does he play exactly the same this time around with what I think is a better squad of players? Well, I, I might argue the otherwise with a squad <laughs> of players comment Tom, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, you know, to beat Liverpool over two games in the semi-finals was... Uh, was you know it, they deserved to get to the final and, and were unlucky on the day against Manchester United as we as we saw but um, yeah it's it's going to be an interesting one how he decides to go he's he's obviously gone to a, a, a club where he's gone and had an immediate impact sat eight in the table um, he'll be looking to sort of reinforce that top ten place uh, this season with the side and um, and see where they, they they finish up but it's. It's going to be a tough one. You know, there, there'll be a lot of positivity around Liverpool now on the news of the Van Dijk signing. And, um, mm. you know, it might be a little bit of a, a party atmosphere. But that, that game with Southampton last season where, you know, they pinched it on the counter-attack with the Shane Long goal. Uh, 
um, was was a classic, almost uh, a little bit of a Crawford defensive setup um, and and managing the, the the game and getting the tactics spot on that occasion. I I think he might might be in for a little bit of a tougher ride uh, this time round. The yeah, Reds unbeaten in eleven Premier League games. The games their joint longest run under Jurgen Klopp. Very impressive uh, in recent weeks. Let's move on to Southampton. They go to Manchester United at five thirty UK time on Saturday. Uh, and talk to me about Southampton, Franny. Just one win in the last eleven Premier League games. Maurizio Pellegrino has won just twenty percent of his twenty Premier League games in charge. Harry Redknapp and Steve Wigley have worse records than him in the Premier League. And Saints, as you know, have had a lot of managers in that time. How sour has it gone? What's he doing wrong, if anything? Well, I I feel for him and I feel for the the, the squad. You know, goals have been tough to come by naturally, as we've seen. I think there's a number of players that aren't performing to their full potential. And Virgil van Dijk has been one of those this season when he's been playing. Um, So I think that's had a little bit of a knock-on effect. We've seen... A few mistakes by individuals that have cost goals and games and points. Um, so, you know, it's not all at the manager's doorstep. I know they're the ones that get it in the neck, ultimately. But, um, you know, I, I, I think the, the fixtures now, they should have picked up more points uh, early part of the season with respect to the opposition they were playing. They've had a tough run of games recently, but they need to, to, to get goals in the side. And, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of games at St Mary's and, um, not don't see every game, but I was at the Burnley match in the Huddersfield game recently over Christmas, and you know you just sense that that anxiety and that frustration from the supporters, and, and the players look a little bit edgy and nervous as well. So, you know they've got to somehow find a way of being brave, mentally strong, um, and they, they've got to turn things around quickly because uh, you know at the moment they're, they're they're heading in the wrong direction for sure, sat 14th in the table, and you know it's going to be a tough trip up to United as as everybody will expect. Despite the fact that United do sit second in the table, obviously, all is not well at Old Trafford at the moment. You've got Mourinho moaning that we need to spend more money. <laughs> 300 million is not enough if we want to catch City. Two two-all draws in their last two matches against Leicester and against Burnley. Does that give you any hope you can go there and maybe frustrate them or capitalise on what isn't exactly a very tight defence at the moment? Quite possibly. Yeah, it's, 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 you've got the, the possibility to do that. But, you know, Southampton's record over the years hasn't been great at Manchester United uh, you know it's a tough place to go and play regardless of you know how their recent form is um, but you know it's, it's time for the players to step up you know I've, I did a, a piece for the, uh, uh, recently and um, you know I just said the players have got to be given at least 100% effort every single game and that's a, a minimum requirement in my, my opinion and they've got to show that bravery it comes in many shapes and forms if it means the, the ball players getting on the ball and being brave in possession and trying things um, they've got to do that and uh, it's, it's going to be a tough fixture without doubt but um, it's, it's one that they could go up and surprise a few people you just don't know and you know Samson over the years have sort of pulled a result out of the bag when uh, when sometimes you might least expect it so we'll, we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed Yeah I should mention as well in the game earlier in the season when they met at St Mary's Southampton pushed Man United all the way and should have got something from it um, just on the individuals you mentioned earlier on Virgil van Dijk, of course, is leaving. I mean, I'm looking at the 11 now who played against Spurs last week, and obviously, striker is is an issue. Shane Long just, for whatever reason, can't really score regularly in a Premier League side. He's never been able to do it. He's not going to be able to do it at this point. The rest of the 11, I mean, it's a very, very strong midfield. There's creative talents in there. Earlier in the season, we talked about the link-up between Lamina and Romeo in the centre midfield, and has that kind of gone away? I mean, what about Nathan Redmond? We know he can't shoot, but he can beat people. Yeah. 
Well, I think what we have seen, and maybe that's been a bit of a frustration from some Southampton supporters, is that you know we've seen a lot of changes to the lineup. Pellegrino sort of not just tweaked maybe one or two for a, a, a new fixture. He's, he's made that four or five changes quite often, and you understand that this time of year where there's a lot of games in a short period of time, but um, you know a, a settled team is, is, is something that that helps players from a you know, a, a familiarity perspective. Um, and, you know, there's there's been Hoiberg coming in. He's a, he's a good player. There's, as you say, there's good competition in midfield. There's been a few losses defensively. Bertrand and Cedric out injured at the moment. Doesn't help the attacking side of the game for the team, I don't think. Um, they've been playing Jack Stevens as a right back who, you know, has done a decent job. But for me, ultimately, is a proper centre-half. Um, and, yeah, they, they you know, with Charlie Austin injured now, it's, you do wonder and look at the team who's going to sort of deliver the goals that they need. And, um, you know, maybe that's even more reason why they're going to probably dip into this transfer funds from Virgil. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. In the market in January. Yeah, it could be a tough few months for Southampton unless they bring in some attacking talents in that January transfer window. Listen, Franny, one final quick question. As the leanest and fittest man that I know, I've got extremely <laughs> fat over Christmas. Any advice for me to lose any weight before I go on holiday in January? Uh, well, the fact that Christmas has been and gone, Tom, it maybe it's a little bit too late. But... <laughs> <laughs> I just <laughs> love a picking blanket. What can Christmas. I do? <laughs> I oh, just got to do that little New Year's thing. Enjoy Christmas and enjoy New Year, and uh, we can all sort of work at shifting a pound or two in the in, in the New Year. All right, exercise mate. Exercise and watch the diet a little bit. I'll try and do some exercise, but no promises. <laughs> Franny Bernardi, Saints legend. Thank you so much for your time. More to talk about on the preview show. Let's go on to Crystal Palace against Man City when we return. It's the Premier League preview show for the final time in 2017. But don't worry, we've still got about 20 more shows to do in 2018. You excited, Dave? Oh, yeah. He can't Can't wait. wait. It is the Premier League preview show. Tom Rennie with you. 
Let's talk about the next game on the agenda. That's Crystal Palace against Manchester City. It's a 12 o'clock UK time kickoff this Sunday. Don't get caught out this Sunday, by the way. Timing's a little bit weird. Uh, there was meant to be a game in the three-game sandwich. That game was moved. So we've got a game at 12 o'clock, then a two-hour break, then a game later in the day. So don't come away from us thinking we're done. We're just taking a bit of a break for the afternoon, all right? Let's talk about the 12 o'clock game UK time, Palace against Man City. We're joined by a former Crystal Palace defender to talk about it. Also once of West Ham and Cardiff City and West Brom as well. Danny Gabbardon is on the line. How are you, mate? You all right? How are you doing, Tom? You okay, mate? Yeah, we're doing all right. I mean, we've just been discussing how fat I've got over Christmas. And you know what? I'm enjoying <laughs> it. You put on any Christmas pounds, Gabs? I don't think you probably would have done. Um, I think I have, you know. Um, I'm looking a little bit um, bigger than normal around the, the face, the chin area. So um, I think that's all right, though. I think you're supposed to do that over Christmas. That's just muscle, mate. Man. That's muscle from eating <laughs> potatoes. It's fine. Uh, that's what I say, and I'm sticking to it. Let's talk about Crystal Palace, shall we? Um, they are on a little bit of a run, unbeaten run. Um, whatever reason, they, they seem to have developed a real solidity under Roy Hodgson. They're going to need every single ounce of that solidity against Man City this weekend. How do Crystal Palace, who hadn't won for the first couple of months of this season, how do they become the first team this year to beat Man City? Um, I don't think they do. <laughs> I can't see anyone beating Man City at the minute. Um, yes, Palace, to be fair, Roy Hodgson's come in there and he's really got them going, doing a fantastic job. He's got them a bit more difficult to beat. They're very basic with, with what they do. They're a 4-4 team, um, but they're all working for each other. Everyone knows their jobs now, and, and they pretty much play on the counter-attack, and, and maybe that's the way to, to go against Man City, trying to utilise uh, the pace and the power of, of Ben Teke, Wilfred Zahar, Andros Townsend, um, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's, who's been playing very well also. Um so I think that's probably how they'll have to try and go about things. But, but of course, you know, you have to defend very well against a, a star-studded Man City team. Uh, the likes of Milivojevic and Johan Gabay sitting in front of the back four are going to be very important. Um, but they, they can get at City on a counter-attack with, with the players they've got going forward. Probably the best attacking or counter-attacking quartet, I would say, outside of probably the top six, top seven teams. So... Um, they, they've got to get the balance right defensively. They've got to be very focused, concentrated, but then they have to try and cause Man City an issue on the counter-attack, which is, is going to be very difficult. Danny, did you ever come up against a team that was so dominant like this during your career? And was there ever a game where you went into it and you just felt, God, we just, you know, even if we play, all of us, 10 out of 10, are still not sure whether we're going to get, you know, be able to do enough? Because it feels to me like teams now are, they've lost before they've even started against mm. Man City. Yeah, and that's credit to them. I think um, the, you know, the football that they've been playing, the results they've been getting, you know, unbeaten this season. Um, that's what's happening now. Teams are already in fear of them before the a ball's even kicked. Um, and yeah, it used to be a little bit what Manchester United used to be like. Um, certainly when I was playing, you know, going to Old Trafford, you you had that similar kind of feel where you was almost beaten before a ball was kicked. You you know, you're standing in the tunnel, you're looking at the, the quality of players they have. Um, and you go out on the pitch and you're, just, you're almost just trying to keep the score down and just find a way of, of not getting humiliated. And that's what you're seeing teams in the Premier League do now. They're, they're not even trying to go out and attack Man City. They're not even going to try and go out and, and, and win against them. They're just kind of you know, nullify the, the threats of them and then keep the score down almost, which is um, it's, it's credit to Man City. I was going to say it's a little bit kind of embarrassing that teams are doing that, but... It is credit to Man City and how well they're playing, how free scoring they are. Um, and I think 
teams are just trying to stop him now. He's obviously from trying to win the league or, or just you know not go in the season unbeaten, to be honest with you. So I think it's huge credit to Pep Guardiola and, and how he's got his team set up and, and how attacking they are. They just they're very difficult to stop. They got so many different attacking threats. You know they can beat you with the the intricate passing. They've got the individual players as well to to score fantastic goals. They keep possession so well. Uh, they're great at getting the ball back as well. So just just a very very difficult team to to figure out to uh, trying to trying to play against. A win for Man City in this game sees them equal a record-winning run in one of Europe's top five leagues. Bayern Munich under Guardiola won 19 consecutive games in 13-14. However, I want to say this to everyone out there who's saying, well, the Premier League's just like Germany or Spain now, isn't it? Uh, I want to quote a little bit of, uh, of our pal Jan Fjortov. He said on Twitter earlier today, once upon a time there was a league called the Bundesliga. English fans called it a Mickey Mouse league because a club called Bayern with King Pep ran away with the trophy before New Year. Whatever happened to Mickey Mouse? Well, let me say this to Jan, who's our pal uh, here at TalkSport, and also anyone else that shares that view. Come back to me when they've won it five years in a row. I think people are getting far too excited about this Man City team being the greatest thing we've ever seen. Essentially, Chelsea ran away with it three years ago. Leicester ran away with it two years ago. Yes, the records have fallen because they've done it so well, but... You know, City went 10 wins in a row the start of the year a couple of years ago. Chelsea, when they won the league, had it won by February. It's not like it's some weird anomaly. We're not seeing space football. And against Man- against Newcastle, Man City had lots of the ball, absolutely. But they could easily not have won that game. If a penalty was given, but it was a dive by Dwight Gale, or one of those late chances went in. This has not been something completely brand new. It's great to watch, but let's try and keep our pants dry for a while, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did actually see your reply on uh, to see Anna Agafiotov. And I think you are right, Lisa. I think we are all getting carried away a little bit with what, what Man City doing. Yes, um, we love the way they're going about things, the style of football, um, the goals that they're scoring. Um, and, you know, they've got a massive lead now. It'd take a lot for them to kind of throw that away. But, you know, it is about longevity. It is doing that season after season. And, I think that is what makes the Premier League the best league in the world because it is so competitive. You look at La Liga, you look at the Bundesliga and you tend to see the same teams kind of winning the title every single year. The lesser sides, certainly in La Liga, they they tend to play similar football to the top sides and and get beat five or or six when when they play them. But you look at the Premier League, there's so many diverse styles of, of play, different managers trying different things. And, you know, it's ultra competitive. I think Pep Guardiola's even said, it's the most kind of defensive league that he's had to manage in, and he's found it difficult in recent weeks to to beat the lesser sides because they they've had a game plan for them. So it is about longevity. Um, very difficult to keep that going season after season. What they're doing, Man United, probably the only side to have who have done that. I think they won the Premier League three years on on the bounce. No one else has even come close to kind of doing that in in recent years. So yeah, they should be judged over a period of time, not not just one season. Um, and it's going to be difficult for them um, next season to, to keep this up because all the teams are improving, spending money. And as I said, the league is, is so ultra-competitive. So I um, tend to agree with you on that one, Tom. I think they should be judged over a period of probably you know, five years, somewhere like that. And you know, we are probably getting a little bit carried away uh, with what they're doing with the season not even half done yet, really. So. I'm still erring on the side of negative, don't you worry. 
Um, going to be tough to go to Sellers Park as well. And let's face it, City were lucky to win at Huddersfield. They were lucky to win at Bournemouth this year. Sellers Park, a very tough place to go with the talented squad that they have, irrespective of league position. Listen, let's move on uh, to West Bromwich Albion, one of your former teams. Gabs extended their winless run to 18 Premier League games, the longest run by a team in this division since Aston Villa's 19-match run in January 2016. Um, what has Alan Pardew got to do to get something this weekend against Arsenal? Well, again, you know, it's going to be a, a really difficult game for, for West Brom. That one, um, a team that seems to be lacking a bit of confidence. And, you know, you were looking for that kind of bounce effect, really, when Alan Pardew came into the club. And, you know, that hasn't really been the case. Um, I certainly thought that, you know, we'd get them playing um a bit of a better brand of football, uh, scoring more goals and, and getting the results to kind of go with that. But, you know, that hasn't been the case. Looks like it's going to be a kind of a slow burn with them. But, you know, they're looking like they're, they're going to be in a relegation battle this season um, and they need to start kind of picking results up quickly. Um, I think, you know, he needs to get one or two players back. Um, I know he got Matty Phillips into the team last week, which I think they need to get a a bit more creativity into the starting eleven if they can, um, just to help the likes of Rondon up front, uh, trying to trying to service him, get him scoring goals, and the likes of Jay Rodriguez as well. Um, they've just been quite safe and quite rigid still, very much how they were under Tony Pulis. Um, and I, I, like I said, a little bit surprised because working under Alan Pardew myself, he was very much a, an attacking manager, uh, liked to play expansive mm. football, and we haven't really seen that from West Brom yet so I think you know that is the way to go they need to let the reins off a little bit but it is difficult when you're down the bottom under pressure to, to win games very difficult to play that style of football because you're just looking to kind of pick up results as quickly as possible if you can I'd put them in the same boat as Southampton we talked to Freddie mm. Benali about earlier on Swansea Brighton to an extent they just you know you've got players in there that you think okay they, they look they look quite good they're quite solid got quite a lot of experience, but they don't have a genuine goal for it. No spark. None of the strikers. None of those teams, there was any spark. None of the strikers are really firing on all cylinders. Rondon missed a couple of really bad bad Mm. misses the other day. Easy chances that he should have put away. As he does. Yeah, and it's the same, you know, Rodriguez, he's not really looked the same, has he, since he had that long injury. You know, where are the goals coming from? And they're they're in the situation now where they're going to have to try and find someone in January to come in and score the goals, and, and that can be very difficult. It can be. January window um, is notoriously difficult for, for bringing in top quality players, especially you know in the forward areas of the pitch. Nobody wants to lose their, their best attacking players, but you know that could be the way to go for, for West Brom and Alan Pardew, uh, looking towards the January window, see if he can bring in someone different to, to help the side. Uh, I think you've got it spot on there. With They don't really have that, um, that goal threat, that prolific striker Rondon, I think, does a good job, works hard, holds the ball up well, but would work really well with a, a more prolific striker alongside him. Jay Rodriguez is almost not a striker. He's, he's kind of like a, an inside forward striker. You know, He doesn't really get that many goals, as you mentioned. Coming back from Searsons, he hasn't really got back to, to where he was before before then. Um, and, they, yeah, they're just, they're just struggling for goals. They lack a bit of pace, I think, to the side as well, to the counter-attack side. So... Um, there's work to be done. There's work to be done for them. You know, he needs to start um, lifting those players and, and getting more out of them, Alan Pardew. And, and as we mentioned there, uh, looking to the January market, hopefully he'll have some money to spend and 
you can bring one or two players in to, to change their fortunes around. Listen, Gabs, we're out of time. Thank you so much for your time. Danny Gavin is part of our international coverage this weekend. He'll be on West Brom against Arsenal for listeners outside the UK. Uh, loads more to get through. You're listening to the Premier League Preview Show. You are listening to the Premier League Preview Show for the final time in the calendar year 2017. And, of course, we only think about things in calendar years these days. We certainly think about Harry Kane in the context of calendar years. Oh, he scored more than Messi this year. How many titles did he win? Well, it doesn't really matter then, does it? Uh, I'm Tom Rennie. David Walker, our football editor, is with us. I uh, wanted to bring up Harry Kane briefly here. And no West Ham Spurs that was slated for this week. That's been put back to the new year because Wembley had some policing issues and couldn't get more than... Uh, and more, enough police, basically, to, to cover the games. And that'll be on the fourth now. But there was a great story this week in one of the newspapers. Harry Kane set for a fourth new contract at Spurs uh, since 2014. And I was going through a bunch of the players that, according to the article, earned more than Harry Kane currently, who apparently yeah. done £110,000 a week. Okay. And what I found amazing about this, and I want to get you to guess some of the names in a minute, but what I found amazing about this is two of the names that earn more than Harry Kane per week were sitting on the West Ham bench last week against Bournemouth. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? As incredible mismanagement. That's Javier Hernandez and Joe Hart earn more than Harry Kane. Blimey. Per week. Mad. Give me some of the other names you think are definitely on there. Aaron Ramsey. Uh, Aaron Ramsey is... He's not on the list. He's not on the list. He's the same, though. Okay. The same way. He's not more, but the same. So they earn the same. Um, Xhaka. Xhaka um, is, is not on there. He's not on there. It's all right. You're doing Giroud. well here. Giroud's not earning more. I'm going to tell you some of the ones that I found quite surprising. Luke Shaw earns more. Okay, yeah. He apparently is on £130,000 a week. Ashley Marion Young. Fellaini apparently is on more, 120000 Ashley Young, the same. hundred ten. So Ashley Young is on the same as, as Harry Kane. Henrik Mkhitaryan, surplus to requirements at Man United, is on more money than the best goal scorer in European football in this calendar year, which, of course, is, is most important. Wealthiest club in the world. Pay me the big wages. Christian Benteke at Crystal Palace is on more. Ooh. Uh, Nicolas Otamendi, a central defender slash kind of auxiliary striker these days at City. Uh, Phil Jones on more. One matter is on more. Um, Virgil van Dijk with his new contract will be on more. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, and, and the new offer, and we don't know what that's going to be, but however, it, it should match Paul Pogba, right, as the top earner, just under three hundred thousand pounds a week. Look, Harry Kane and Harry Kane's agent would have every right to go to, to Spurs and say, "Look, I've scored more goals than anyone. I've scored more goals this year than, than Messi. Mm. I, I am justifiably the best striker in the world right now. Give me the big money because mm. I could go and get it." I can go and get it from City or Man United or Real Madrid or Barcelona or PSG. Any of these clubs would take him if they got the got the nod that he might be available. They'd be straight in there with an offer. But he doesn't seem like he is the sort that will be desperate to move. Mm. He seems to me like quite a low-maintenance, down-to-earth guy that's probably pretty happy with £110,000 a week or whatever mm. it is he, he's on. I've also heard that he gets £20,000 a goal. Mm. which makes up for it a little bit. Well, that puts him on more than James Milner. I mean, so he scored good. six in the last two games. That's yeah. a nice little Christmas bonus, isn't it? Mm. You know, so it's not all bad. We shouldn't get the violins out for him just it, yet. He's doing all right, but it does I po- hope he stays. It does pose the problem for Spurs, this, that wage structure. It always comes back to it. They've outperformed their wage structure. 
if you compare them to the mm-hmm. other top teams, they've done better than they well, should have done. Well, they're equivalent to West Ham in wages. Yes, exactly. And I look at and they they've pushed. You know, they've been they've been right up there in terms of the title race for most of the season in the last few seasons, and they're maybe not going to quite get there this season. But if they want to become genuine title challengers, if they want to have go into the final weeks of the season with a genuine chance of mm. winning the title, they're going to need to buy some better players to strengthen that squad. And in, in order to do that, they're going to need to pay proper wages to the new players and to the players they've got. However, I would happily lose, if I were Spurs, irrespective of, of the qualities of these players, I would happily lose Ericsson or Ali or anyone but Harry Kane. And if it comes down to Harry Kane gets 500 grand a week and everyone else stays within the structure, well, that's the facts of the matter. And, and I can't imagine that Spurs are thinking any differently. Anyway, they're not playing uh, until New Year's Day, and there'll be an action again a couple of days later. So both West Ham and Spurs, in fact, play on the second. West Ham have got West Brom, and Tottenham go to Swansea on the second. And on the fourth, they meet at Wembley, uh, which is a tight turnaround for both those two teams. Anyway, let's go on to some further games taking place on Saturday, December 30th. Bournemouth against Everton. Cherries winless in their last eight Premier League games. There's so many teams on runs like this right now. What's most of the bottom half? Really? Uh, <laughs> exactly right. But uh, you know, they, they play great against West Ham. The thing is, with the, 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 the blobby Bobby thing... And uh, Bobby Madley making the most outrageous decision I think I've ever seen any referee do in a football match, a 92nd-minute equaliser. Irrespective of all that, yep. they were the better team across the piece. And that doesn't discount the fact that Simon Francis should have got a red card for booting Chiarty in the face and it, the goal shouldn't have counted. It doesn't discount any of that, so it's not like, oh, it's a fair result. However, they played very, very well on the day. And that's with injury problems. That's with um, a small squad. That's with a lack of investment and poor signings as well. Uh, Bournemouth are going to be in it, uh, but I think they've got a real chance against Everton this weekend. Perhaps if they're able to score one, they win the game. Well, Everton are struggling to score, but they're also doing very well at keeping the goals out. Yep. Big Sam has sorted that defence out. He's got them hard to beat. They're getting clean sheets. He is a very, very good coach. A very good coach and someone that players actually respect. Uh, and you knew what you were going to get. Did they press the panic button too early? Absolutely. But when yeah. they add Senk Tossen this week from Besiktas for, for 25-odd million mm. pounds, or whatever it's going to be, that could be the difference. Because what they lack, essentially... Was like a centre forward. Teams, yeah. Was a proper centre yeah. forward. And you got a guy scoring goals. Yeah, it's in the Turkish league, but he has scored in the Champions League as well. Um, that maybe could be the difference. And there's no reason Everton from this point won't finish in the top eight. Talk about Chelsea up against Stoke City this weekend. Um, Stoke picking up some vital points, playing poorly. Um, but I was covering the game against Huddersfield a couple of days ago. Uh, and I thought that they were very, very good, actually, in the second half. Huddersfield are a poor side, obviously, uh, and scored the first goal. Tom Ince scored that goal after some great work from, from, from Quainer, but nothing else really in the game for them. They looked a better side when Ryan Shawcross went off. He used to be their, their best player, their linchpin. He has been erratic in form in recent months, and I think they look better defensively without him. And they also look better going forward when Ramadan Sobi got on the pitch. Someone with actual pace, giving them actual width. Um, I think he should have won the game in the end, but I, I don't fancy him against Chelsea this week. No, no, I don't either. I mean, Chelsea are they sort of. It's been a really funny season for Chelsea, hasn't it? Mm. There have been a couple of times where we've been really close to us in the media pressing that big button marked crisis, but they've never quite got there. Mm. They've never quite imploded. They've always come back when they've had a few dodgy results and they've scored enough goals. But you still do get the feeling that it's not all quite hunky dory at Chelsea, but. 
at the moment, all they've got to do is give the ball to Aspilicueta, get him to cross it from the middle. <laughs> Morata heads it in. Bob's your uncle. So have you got the stat on that, how many times they've linked up this I think year? they've got about six together. But Chelsea as a team, they've got 20 of their league goals this season have been scored by Spaniards, hmm. which is the only team in the Spanish league to have that many is Real Sociedad. That's incredible. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Uh, you'd fancy him uh, against Stoke this weekend. I think I keep going back to what Alvaro told us a few weeks ago. What they're lacking is that street smarts. What they're lacking is that brawler they had in Diego Costa. What they've got is a lot of finesse players from academies. What they need is someone to get out there and just smash some people. Know. I think that's what's been lacking with Maybe. Chelsea when I watch them. Um, but they won't need it really against Stoke this week. Uh, Huddersfield Burnley is amongst the three o'clock kickoffs UK time. But Burnley this week, and Burnley again, another impressive performance at Old Trafford. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, would, you fa- would you fancy them really? to win this? Yeah, because their away form has been pretty good this season. I just feel, I mean, you know, it could easily be a draw, but at the same time, you know, you'd go on form and go on league position. You'd say Burnley should win this match. They'd, be, they'd certainly be thinking, we've just, drew, drew, uh, we've just drawn with Manchester United at mm. Old Trafford. Away to Huddersfield, not as hard. We should win this match. Uh, one game we haven't mentioned, the final game of our nine taking place before the turn of the year. Newcastle against Brighton. Uh, and everyone needs to get off Newcastle's back. I, I honestly was stunned by the reaction, both in the back pages of the press in the UK, plus the, the broadcasters as well. Of, of the criticism of their style of play. We, we talked about it when we talked about Man City earlier on. If you're Newcastle, and if you take that West Ham game out, and that was such an anomaly, you'll never get a game where Henri Saive and Mohamed Diarre <laughs> scoring it again. It was bizarre. I mean, it was just proper West Ham sort of stuff. But they, they were great that day, actually. Um, and, and they went two up front. Against City, they can't do that. But against Brighton, they will. Um, I don't think Rafa is a negative coach necessarily and I don't think he has been negative a lot of this season. I think he hasn't got a very good squad but he found something against West Ham which I think he'll go back to against Brighton. The criticism of playing defensive against Man City who had injury problems and were able to bring Gundogan in and Bernardo Silva in and Yaya Torre sits on the bench. It's unbelievable. I I mean, we think about Newcastle and maybe they're getting this dip because we think about them as such a Premier League great but they're not. They're a newly promoted team. Yeah, look, and it's a completely different task against Brighton. At home against Brighton, these are the matches they've got to win. They wouldn't have been bothered about getting anything against Man City. If they got a point, brilliant. Mm. Even if they avoided a 5-0 hammering, good for the goal difference. They got out there with with the 1-0 loss, probably about the best as they could have hoped for, really. Mm. Uh, And you go and you beat Brighton. That is what matters. That's the sort of thing that will keep Newcastle away from the relegation zone. That's the end of our previews of the action on the 30th and 31st. And it's our last preview show for a couple of weeks. And in fact, I'll be away for the next one. So you've got three weeks away from me, Dave. You happy about that? Uh, how am I going to cope? Probably just recovering from your New Year hangover for an extended period of time. Is, is that your plan? I, I don't we know New Going Year out hangover. with your young friends? No, no. I'm working, partying. working all the way through New Year, mate. It's a grafter. He's our football editor. Um, thanks a lot, mate. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'll be back in a few weeks' time. Dave's back in a couple of weeks. Please, West Ham, win a couple of games before then. It's the Premier League preview show. We'll see you next time. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org T's and C's apply yeah, Hold that please level 5 thank you Ah you must be one of our new interns Yeah hi nice to meet you Hi now the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale The most important thing is what sorry 
The single most important thing is to work in the channelised Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.